This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets online has always been a confusing process, man, but not with SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app today to start saving now. Enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN, that's all one word, and SeatGeek will send you a $20 rebate after your first ticket purchase. SeatGeek is your ticket to amazing sports ticket deals. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, one. Bad Christian Pod. Keep the beat going. That just doesn't flow with the hip hop. Yes, it does. You're not forward thinking. Christian podcast. <laughs> Bad Christian. That was pretty tight. I thought. Yeah, it sounds synchronized. I like. I loved it. I did. Synchronized. So, you guys. Can I are, say the first? Can I say the first thing here? Oh, well, oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Oh, sorry. Go for it. So. uh I've been kind of concerned I, I, that I haven't gotten stronger. That isn't and, helpful, and, Joey. Go ahead. Why don't you shut I, up, Matthew DeBose Carter? Matt, I know he's a pastor, but he is wasted and very drunk. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew the. I always say that no. only to get the disclaimer. <laughs> I say that. I, I literally only say that. <laughs> It's funny because you can tell where it's actually might get into reality because if you said if you said hey Joey just murdered two people he wouldn't say that's not true because he's not right. insecure about it right right if you say Joey because well, that's not believable like a, and if that's you not say, believable if you just say, getting drunk is believable that's what I'm saying it's believable because you do it and you are it yeah I mean you it's are believable because it's true <laughs> that's what I'm saying that's my point thank you I don't know how to tell our elders. <laughs> <laughs> Toby's got a mission before he leaves. All right, so do not put your do not put your on the feet table. up at the screen. If your foot it, just approached the webcam just, that I'm looking I, at, and I was I, scared to death. Don't do know, it. I, I, on a little side note here, we we've talked about this. I mean, the the couch is gone. Yeah, and Matt always asks me, "Hey, why do you have the couch? You, know, you just use the chairs. That way, Joey, Joey will, will have sit to sit up, up if you got real Does chairs." He, uh, Matt, you now fully see, right? Our listeners, matter, yeah. our listeners can't Matt see, but you are <laughs> leaning unbelievable. Your your feet are on my chair. You literally he had to just stop yourself. Tried to from put putting his feet your giant foot between the two the computers table. on the table from a folding. He's sitting in a folding chair and just tried to put his yeah. bare five toed foot between your two computer. It's unreal. I mean, so of Matt, course, you love of course me. the couch is the right way to go. Matt, you love me. Of course you, the couch is the way to avoid Matt, all contact just with get this him, body. Just get him a gurney Matt or, has, or one of those sleep-matic beds that raise and lower and just wheel him around. That's all. That's Matt, this is, going, this is where this is headed. I have helped I gotta Matt. I got to get an electronic bed yeah, so that we can do the podcast right. with Joey. I've helped Matt experience certain emotions he's never felt before. Today at staff meeting, there's two ladies and Joey and I, and we're sitting there. Joey... I swatch him. He slips off his flip flop and then just starts playing with his toes. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a meeting with people, and we're talking about our church. And what we got to do is just his giant sausage fingers are on his giant sausage toes. Do I have big fingers? Yeah, your fingers are gross. Hey, you know what I was thinking? I thought of this legitimately (laughs) the other day, Toby. Wait, wait, wait. If I have gross fingers, that's a problem. No, it is a problem. Yes, you. You, you can't just, pick your nose. 
Your fingers are so big and gross. You people can't don't want to shake my hand. Let's try this, Toby. When we just uh, just to make it a little more apparent, let's next like uh, you know how sometimes when we do live performances and Joey dresses yeah. like it's uh, yeah the, the the one Saturday out of the year where he's ne- not going <laughs> to encounter any other humans for for, for forty eight hours. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Joey goes. I just got right. done cutting the grass. I'm going to do a live podcast. <laughs> right, what he looks like. So w- when we do a live event where we sell tickets to, I'm comfortable. That way. Okay, so in order to highlight that just a little bit more, I was thinking it might be really cool if in some of our photo shoots and our live performances in the future, if you and I actually were to wear like a suit or a tie and then let him do what he does. How th- <laughs> Like both visually and behaviorally, and the right. way he's going to sit and what he's going to wear, it would really, I think, drive the point home. So if you're down for that, let's just you and I, we can clean up nicely, wear a nice tie. I would love that. So let's just plan on doing it. that next time we do the BC Live podcast, and don't talk about it. I'll step it down. You no, Joe. You just you know, as you were, <laughs> just, <laughs> you're fine. As you were. All right. So I want to get back to my original point. So I have been trying to incre- increase my bench press. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I felt yeah. kind of weak and not that strong anyway. So, uh, our good first, uh, our good friend Justin Hedrick um, was talked with me and then talked to me about increasing strength and and a workout plan and all stuff. It's really cool. So it's basically do like heavier lifting. Which Matt, I don't know if you can tell me any of the science behind this because I don't totally understand it. Mm-hmm. Like, so trainers and and people will tell you, and even Devin, I had a long conversation with Devin. If you want to get stronger, you do heavier weight less, right? Which is crazy because yes, to it, build mass, yes. But why doesn't like lighter weight more times do just as much? I mean, I, it, it does. It does make you stronger. But like, if you want to get real, like really bench pressing a lot of stuff, you do like max stuff, and then like a kind of a pyramid down. Like you know, you do heaviest weight once, and then a little bit lighter two times, and a little bit lighter three times, whatever. But what is it about your muscles that that works for? I, I should have. I would. We maybe because you're have, pushing it to capacity. So you're teaching but, your muscles to exert more than what it's able to. And so your muscles are going to bounce back further the next time you do it. So you're just, whereas the, with, with the more reps, less weight, you're just toning things up. When is the last time you did a bench press? Me? Yeah. I do push up. So it's been No, years. no. When is the last time you've done a b- bench press? Just say the time. years. I don't know. I don't like the gym. So I am, uh, I've been working out with 135 and I do four sets of 135, right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to these guys. I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what I can do. So I uh, put 195, almost 200 pounds on the bench. And I don't I don't really want to ask anybody to spot me, which is a – it inhibits me because a spotter would help me get the weight up, right, just in case, just mentally or anything. Anyway, so I have the 195. I take it off the rack, and I'm getting ready to drop it down and push it up. And I see my pinky, and there is a – Two inch hair growing out of my pinky. Good gosh! And that was it. I had to put the weight back on the rack, and I couldn't think of anything else for a second because I was like, "Why would my body? Like, I'm trying to get my body in shape. I'm trying to burn calories and all stuff. Why would my body at one point on my body? It's probably several points on my body, but why would it grow this unreal hair? Because I've also had like a two inch hair growing out of my earlobe before, and I remember my pawpaw. When he was about 70-something years old, he had like a hair sprout out of the end of his nose. <laughs> and I, I just don't understand why does your body do those things when you try. Like, And why couldn't I, my brain not think about that? Like, There was no way I was going to lift the weight then. All <laughs> I could think about was this giant mass of hair that was growing out of my body that does not help me lose weight, that does not grow my pecs. 
does does my do outer ear gets long hairs. You have an outer ear. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Well, and so everybody has hair in their inner ears, but yeah. the outer ears. So like like the very top of it, oh, I'll get yeah, this yeah. super long. I think two they just inch call that hair. your ear. No. There's an yeah, inner and outer. Your inner ear and then if your I ear. said my ear has hair, everybody'd be like, "Well, duh, that's where yeah, wax collects." If you said collects. the top of my ear, I think they would say, "Yeah." That's, okay. Well, this right. has gotten off to a bad. Yeah, start. I'm, I'm, I'm still, sorry. I'm still waiting on for you to lock into where you were, were headed here, Toby. Well, do we, well, my do we already is, cover it, or is this we got more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not sure at what why, point oh, you were getting okay. to the thing you I, intended I, to get to that you. Why is 95 percent of my body covered in hair? Maybe 90 percent, and that doesn't help me get into shape. And why would my pinky decide to grow one hair? Way longer than any other. Do you think that your pinky has an independent, uh, sentient brain? Uh, no, but there's some signal that is sent to that hair follicle, right? That says, just go for it. And I don't understand why would my body spend energy and time do doing that. Do you think that? your body and decided to do that, though, is the way you're talking? you think it made the decision? Well, it has to decide something because, <laughs> okay, why does the fat <laughs> store around my belly and and why does it make you know why do, is there certain weird thing? But do you think it was a decision that was made somewhere? There is some kind of gene or something in my DNA that says you need chest hair. Right. You grow chest hair, right? Yes. I'm saying why can't I go? I don't need chest hair, and my chest hair falls off. Well, if you could change your DNA, then yeah, sure. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is that means I'm incapable of changing my body with the thing that is changing my body or making my body a certain way. I cannot use my brain and think don't grow chest hair or grow more chest hair. Of course not. Or or grow less nose hair or whatever, right? Uh So that means my body is doing it without my consent. Uh, It's no good without your consent. I have no no consent. (laughs) What consent do I have? He was watching those PSAs where you had to have consent, and he's thinking his own body is is, he hasn't given consent to the things (laughs) he's decided to do. (laughs) That's the truth. Can we move on? There are tons of things about my body that why can't I miss your body about it? I know consent is like the main thing with your own body. I've tried to teach that to Georgia. I said, this is your body. If somebody's tickling you or hugging you or doing something to your body, you speak up. You say, no, you say, this is my body. And you had to consent to everything that happens with your body. I teach my two year old that and Toby's own body. He's not even giving consent to and it's violating his consent. you're 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 a smart guy. Why you would love to have just once in your life, right? A giant full beard. I would love it. Okay, why can't you use your brain that is telling your body don't have a giant full beard to have a giant full beard? That just seems just like just so rotten. But your, your DNA own body is would be in against you. the local cells. That's not from your brain. Your your brain isn't your DNA warehouse. But why can't your brain convince those cells to change and manipulate and, and mutate to a bearded man? I don't under. I think what I'm what I'm getting at here is my body is doing things without my consent. One day, they might be able to tap into it to where you decide what you want. It's so funny. Right? No. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Can't they, with a baby, decide the, the sex now? Like, male or female? Hey, wait. We want to have a male or female. That, that's going to be possible, right? At least, if it's not now, there's the potential where you can genetic, decide if you want a... Genetic right. manipulation right. is not the Stand same. Stand up as, when you're having sex if you want a boy. So Easy. No, right, exactly. So, I'm just saying, if they could already do that, why, at some point, can't they just make your brain be like totally on board with changing something in at the time every cell in your body is a unique cell and it already has the blueprints 
the DNA. It's in every single cell, has the right. blueprints as they were originally designed. So their fingernail, uh, so your you're hair capable follicle. capable of changing what you got. Well, You're your screwed. DNA can be altered slightly through epigenetics, but in, in a sense, your genetics are permanent, and the blueprints have already been shipped out, manufactured, and sent to every cell in your body has an identical copy of the plan. So what you think mentally does not uh, okay, override but the blueprint. But one day they will, will be able to do something where right now you could pay, okay, it's going to get cheap right now. At some point it'll be expensive, but it'll be cheap where they go, Matt, for th- for nine hundred ninety nine dollars, you can have the fullest beard in the world. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to do all that stuff. So all I'm saying is, right now, it's just frustrating because I think you can't do that. But I think one day you'll be able to because hey, you haven't my, given consent. I hate my brown eyes. Yeah. I want blue eyes. And you haven't given consent. And you've been violated by your own body. My body will not listen to what I'm asking <laughs> it to do. Hey, do not store fat like this, bastard. And it still does it. I say, hey, I don't want a giant hair growing off my pinky. What does it do? Do, do you think that I want a giant hair off growing on my pinky? No, of course not. <laughs> so at what point did I give consent for that to happen because it's neat or cool or awesome? Zero. <laughs> I mean, you didn't give consent to be born either. So there's a lot of things that are That's out true. of your control. Let me ask you this, Matt, about Toby. So Toby calls me pastor. He says, you know what, Joey? A lot you're... of people do, man. You've changed a lot of lives. Right. So he says that of all people that call themselves pastor, Toby's like, Man, I think Joey is what pastor is. I, I mean, agree. I, I, he is I just, genuinely do agree with that. I really do. He is just sold on that. All right. So today, our friend Sarah talks about how uh, Toby and I were both aware that their AC was acting up yesterday. Her and her husband, Michael, are good friends of ours. And she said, well, the AC needed to be completely replaced and, you know, $6,000 and all 4, that 000. sort of stuff, $4,000. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, that sucks. But I was, I'm thinking to myself, eh, this is going to happen anyway. And, you know, everybody comes into trouble with their AC. I'm the pastor. I'm a little like, oh, okay, Toby is devastated. Toby cannot get out of his mind the money that yep. the Ellers are having to pay for the AC. Right. And he just has so much empathy and he's, he's almost thinking, what can I do to fix this? What can I do to keep them from having to pay this? Right. And so my question for Matt is, Matt, we were in Arkansas one time. <laughs> Matt and Toby, you guys were doing a uh, live. Just like a pastor. He tells a story. You guys were doing a, a, a live show of Matt and Toby. Right. Yep. And there were some individuals in there that you guys knew. There were some people in there that you didn't know. There were some guys that were genuinely just wanting to interact with you guys. When Toby got in the car with me and you, he said, I hated every second of that. I hate, I hate those, people. those people. And I never want to do that again. Yeah. Like, there was right. not one part of Toby that was just like, oh, that was kind of fun. I got to connect with those people a little bit or anything. He hated hate it. Those he hated people. the experience. Sure. hated the people. Wish what, they were dead. What in, the, what in the hell is going on with Toby? Like, why can he have so? Is it is it he only has empathy for people that he knows? No, no. Toby, can you explain yourself? I, no, I want to say you don't I'll give a shit about those I people in Arkansas. I say yes. I mean, I think that I do have sympathy for people that I know. And I, I stand by you can only know so many people that well. So... All the people that I know decently well, I really do care about. And if I don't really know you, eat shit. I don't care if you die. I don't care anything. <laughs> no, l- listen, th- this, is this, this is something that I, I say a lot of times is that the thing that is somebody's best quality is also going to be their worst quality. 
That's I don't just like the where way you're going is, with okay? this. So, <laughs> I do not like where you're going with this. Okay, so so I would say that that it, my wife is that way. She the, the good quality she has is is in the in the neighborhood of being able to spot flaws, figure them out, articulate them, say what's exactly wrong with the situation, kind of thing. So that's really good for maintaining our house, looking out for our daughter, stuff like that. It's not really good as in, goodness gracious, it feels like she's all over my case. But her scrutiny right. and her intelligence and that those kinds of things are, are real assets in a lot of ways. But they're a real pain to me because she's, it feels like she sees me as this glaring failure at every moment because she sees that. Right. Toby is, is very similar. Toby actually is more empathetic and understanding of other people. I was trying to explain this to somebody else the other day. I said... When somebody comes on our tour bus, Toby is so upset about the fact that that happened because <laughs> he is genuinely, when that person comes to sit on our tour bus, for instance, he will entertain them. He will make sure they feel okay. He is totally tuned into, I hope this person is uncomfortable right now. It's making me feel terrible. And these are strangers. Strangers. Because he can't be, help right? but actually have genuine empathy for them. He doesn't think, oh, somebody's on my bus, I ignore them. Right. He thinks this is devastating me because I hope this person is uncomfortable. Can you imagine how they feel? I wish they weren't here. I hate that person. Right. And his action toward that person will be, I hope this person feels better. Hey, can I get you something to drink? <laughs> and he's devastated, uncomfortable. <laughs> well, hey, because hey, he genuinely I... <laughs> has empathy for the person. He's uncomfortable. <laughs> well, okay. How about this though? Because also the times that I have seen, I have actual data of when you don't do that, somebody flips out or acts mm -hmm. weird or uncomfortable. Like Absolutely. The, last, the very last show, we were in Seattle, right? We played Seattle on, on we did an acoustic set. A person showed up backstage, and I am literally trying to do work with buying flights and getting stuff taken care of. There were some issues. I'm right. on Expedia doing this stuff. And that person felt like I, we none of us showed them attention, and yeah. then confronted us and lost their shit. Yeah. So this person us, showed up early. Like, it's not yeah. worth it. This it's is true. Not worth this it. is a true story. I'll tell it. So, so this person came in with a buddy that he knew that was a buddy of whatever. Showed up backstage or where we were planning to to get ready to do this show. It was, it was when we were doing that live stream. It was a very stressful day. We had a bunch of equipment problems. We were just showing up. We had, we had a lot to do. Toby was booking the flights. This person brought somebody with them, and so they hung out with us before, well before the event. It's like, oh, a tag-along person, okay. And we were busy. And then we did the event. They stayed all night. And then afterwards, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember what happened to the guy or if he helped us pack up or not. Don't even know. Wasn't really on my radar. Or a girl. Or a girl, whoever it was. They leave. Then they come back and say, that how upset they were with the way that we had been treating it. Right. <laughs> because we and didn't I, show them the attention. Like, oh. They said, I've been a fan for this long. I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, I was just doing what I was doing. Toby was doing what he was doing. And right. the person felt screwed, ignored. I still don't know the person's name. I don't even know who, how, so, but that person was feeling right. slighted by us the, the whole time. So and we're I don't in even our know what he was room. talking about. I didn't even know we're it. In, we're in our green room where yep. we're supposed to have like free time and be handling our business. At, like before this show that is important. We're doing... I mean, like a live internet broadcast, and we're doing all this stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on, and I swear, I wish I would just would have stopped and just spent a little bit of time because made him what feel I realized okay. every single but, person would rather you be fake and entertain them, whatever that means, as opposed to be yourself. So right. this person would have loved it if I would have. Just been like, hey, oh, cool. You, you Ask them six questions oh, yeah. about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Do this, whatever. I should have done that. It's just easier, and they would say good things about You don't know how many times I've heard He would walk away saying Toby's the sweetest right. dude. 
if he would have just small talked him for eight more minutes or whatever. It, it just doesn't help you. Like I, it actually helps you in this world to be fake and not real because if you actually are doing something uninterested in hanging out, don't care, uh, whatever, people are just going to talk shit about you. You don't know how many times I've heard, oh, man, this one band, they came into town and they, you know, they just stayed in the green room. They didn't talk to anybody. Where This other band, man, they were so awesome. Oh, my gosh, they just hung out. They went to Waffle House with us. Like, <laughs> shit, just go to Waffle House every time. Who cares? Like, give a little bit, and, you know, even if you don't mean it, everybody's going to think you're awesome, even though that's the fake you. Right. You, you know, those same people that hang out will talk shit about those people later, and I'm just like, if you're real, it doesn't matter. It's just so frustrating to me that you can't, like, just be yourself. But they see that's it as a service nice to them. They see it as... Are you selfish with your time and energy, or are you giving of it? I mean, that's pretty but much what they reduce is, it to. Like, like people that I actually know, I feel co- crazy empathetic and try to scheme in a sense of a come up with a schematic of how to help them. Right. Like I really do think that. Like yeah. today, I thought I, I a million, think hyper a empathy is a really great thing quality that Toby has, but it causes his uh, neurotic thoughts about yes, other people, and ultimately causes him to dislike other people. Because he's yes, so tuned it, in, yes. with, it ultimately causes him to want to avoid people because he knows how emotionally expensive that is to be around. Yes, him. and another <laughs> thing is, it, it's way less exhaustive to be fake than it is to be real. Because that person's gonna—I mean, it was exhausting to after a show talk to somebody about how they thought you weren't nice to them. I'm right, like, what terrible, in the hell? I'm that, just forget. I'd rather be fake nice and fool you because you're a kind of a, a psycho. <laughs> Anyway, like yep. if this is the way you're going to act, I can't win. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. If I'm super nice to you, you might flip out anyway. So anyway, it, it doesn't matter. But I'm just saying being fake, I think 90% of the time works better. Yeah. Well, being, we real, have, being real is worse and well, takes more time and is exhaustive. I must get in McDonald's Appreciation Month for that month. Oh, I got to hear this oh, last one, man. Oh, me too, man. I've got to hear yeah. about how the chicken nuggets were made by treating chickens nicely. Yes. So I, I feel like I didn't get to really even say all the stuff I wanted to about McDonald's and my appreciation. We are sorry. For them. We're sorry. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know that next month, we're moving on to a new month. Next month is is uh, it's because it's July, because it's 4th of July. Everybody's out in the summertime. We're moving on to barbecue science month next month, which is going to be great. <laughs> I like that. So I'm going to do barbecue science for you guys. Uh, each once a week next month. I don't. I didn't get all my McDonald's stuff in, but I will say a couple of other things I didn't get to. First of all, just the fact that they're able to deliver this much calorie-dense nutrition, food, fat, protein, carbs. Imagine if you had a McDonald's everywhere in all of the world. That would be the greatest possible thing. That There'd be $2 McDoubles in the farthest reaches of uh, Nigeria and Kenya and, and everywhere in Southeast Asia that's poverty-stricken. If you had a McDonald's everywhere, it would be great. They're great. So knock it off with making fun of McDonald's. Anyway, today the, the only thing I have time to focus on, I'll do it real quickly before we go, is that McDonald's does charity. They do it great. With all the power and everything else they have and all the money they have, they've been able to do a lot of charitable stuff for people. McDonald's, for instance, when Katrina happened, gave over $5 million immediately to relief efforts. And they praise the Lord for McDonald's. Right. They did a ton. They did a ton of stuff around Katrina. And then there's a, this one's kind of a little a smaller one, but it's funny in Sweden, they have a thing set up there where if you bring recycling to these certain bins, 
and take clean up the streets, it dispenses McDonald's burgers to the people that bring the recycling and clean up the streets. I think wow. that was pretty clever. In Colorado, they have a program where they've given out like 75,000 books to classrooms and they educate people there. That That's what they've organized there. And of course, Ronald McDonald uh, is one of the biggest charities in the world. And, and, and McDonald's has even been listed as the third most charitable company as far as wow. what money they have given. And as you know, Ronald McDonald uh, gives support to walmart and opec well (laughs) ronald mcdonald house what they do is take care of people whose kids are sick and support the families of children who are in the hospital running up these big bills and ronald mcdonald helps them with maintaining their regular life um because of their the sick kids is, is such a burden so thank you to mcdonald's i went there on father's day that's what i chose to do i got up went there and got breakfast with my whole family enjoyed it very much it's something i enjoy on the road and it gets a bad name so i'll close mcdonald's appreciation month of june which i pronounced and expect for it to catch on next june you'll probably see a lot of stuff about it mcdonald's is the epitome of everybody likes to pick on it just because it sounds big and famous yeah. and it, people like to say nasty stuff about it because it's an easy target but McDonald's kicks ass, everybody, okay? Don't forget it. All right. Well, that's McDonald's Appreciation Month. When Joey Thank goes you. to McDonald's, they ask him what he doesn't want because it's easier. Yeah, that's a quicker, yeah. quicker way to get the order in. Yeah. So, Matt, would someone be doing themselves a, a good service to eat McDonald's every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You could oh, easily yeah. do that in a way that was reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I, I can eat McDonald's several days a week, but I'm eating, I'll eat an egg, a scrambled egg, and a side sausage patty for breakfast i could do that every day it would never be it would be anything but good for me do you remember the cheese and cinnamon danishes they used to have back in the 80s those yeah. were awesome all right well ronald mcdonald dropped ketchup on an easel and he sold it to a man named van gogh <laughs> well you crazy boy all right well thank you matt and <laughs> we are there, we're <laughs> we're joining ronald with- mcdonald once slapped chuck norris this is what we know as the big bang <laughs> We are joining with Chris Simpson from he he is he's the dude from Zookeeper, but a lot of people know him as the front man for Mineral. A lot of people that have been in the music scene in the late '90s, and you've been following it for a while. There's a lot of big Mineral fans. Uh, Chris Simpson's joining us here. I want to ask you guys, Matt and Toe, before we go into this interview. So, 1997, Power of Failing came out. That's a lot of that. That's an album that a lot of people refer to as this man. Is the that point album podcast for Matt and Toby quit listening. Um, yeah, go ahead, Joey. Hope, hopefully, well, you are listening um, because Matt and Toby are not. So, let me ask y'all this: from a business music business sense, when a Power of Failing album sells on iTunes for nine ninety nine, saying it like that, when well, a Power of Failing <laughs> album sells on iTunes, I mean, when someone we are friends, you do not have to talk like when that someone to me. clicks on it for nine ninety nine, where does that money go? Does Does Chris benefit from that? Like Donald Trump. I'm. Si- I want to know Donald Where's, Trump. Where does the money go to? Matt, nine, what, Matt, $10. what happened when uh, Joey Matt, played answer. McDonald's Monopoly for thirty days? Well, I don't know. What, what did he get? What did he get? A heart attack. You guys are Let's no... Let's bring on Chris Simpson I want to know. Why don't you ask Chris? I want to know from you guys. Y'all know the business. It depends on who owns his catalog. I don't know who owns it. Okay. You can ask him. Will you ask him is your wiener adult size? Okay. Chris Simpson. All right. I'm looking forward to doing some bad Christian living room shows. And uh, here's, here's what makes me even more excited is we're going to be kicking these things off around football season time. Now, what Matt, Toby, and I like to try to do is strategically make our living room tour go through a major city while one of our favorite football teams is there for a big game. 
SeatGeek makes it a more seamless process. Anybody that buys sporting tickets nowadays without going to SeatGeek first, it's just honestly, it's just kind of stupid. Here's why. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal, man. SeatGeek does all of this work, saving you time and money. These guys want to help you get the most bang for your buck. And uh, I tell you what, we want our listeners to get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. So don't don't waste any time. If you're going to go to sporting events, get the SeatGeek app right now and start using it. So just download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN, that's all one word, and SeatGeek sends you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN today. All right, we've got an interview coming up here in the next few weeks with Jesse Smith, known for his unbelievable band, Zayo. Thinking about Zayo puts me back to the late 90s, early 2000s, heavy music scene. I was listening to it all the time. And Solid State Records was right in the middle of that sucker, putting out the best heavy music out there. Times have not brought any change with that pattern of solid state records putting out the best heavy music. I'm gonna buy, I'm I'm gonna let you hear a song from the new Forevermore. That's the band's name, and this album is called Integral. This song is nascent. You gotta listen to this, man. Unbelievable. Check it out. So Integral is Forevermore's second full-length album on Solid State Records, and it's a concept album about spiral dynamics, which is a theory dealing with the development of human consciousness and our search to understand ourselves. Uh, honestly, our friend Michael Gunger uh, has a whole episode on spiral dynamics on his podcast called The Liturgist Podcast, if you want to learn more about it. But here's the thing, man. Integral comes out on July the 22nd. Everywhere music is sold. In fact, you can go to iTunes right now and pre-purchase 
get that pre-order right now. You can catch them on tour this summer throughout July and August. Head to the Bands in Town page or Facebook page for dates and cities. Go check them out. Audio Feed Festival 2016 is right around the corner. And when I mean right around the corner, I mean right around the corner. I mean in two days, July the 1st, we're going to be hanging out and listening to folks like Josh Garrels, Propaganda, Beautiful Eulogy, 68, Wolves at the Gate. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's going to be a great time. What I also want to tell you is that Bad Christian Day is going to be at Audio Feed Festival. So Matt and Toby's going to play a set. Emery's going to play a set with freaking Devin Shelton, man. Did you just hear what I said? Devin Shelton. It's going to be a fun time. I will be there. And we are going to record a live podcast in front of you guys, BC listeners, BC clubbers. Can't wait to hang out. Audiofeedfestival.com. Bad Christian Day. Can't wait. See you there in a couple of days. You know, there's some things that never get old. McDonald's hamburgers, candy corn. Those things literally never get old. But for me, Otis Redding's voice never gets old to me. Always love it. Let me tell you something else that I always love, and it's tough for me to express this and for you guys to believe it because y'all know that I have some prejudice here considering Matt, Toby, Devin, and all those guys are good friends of mine. But I'm telling you, I never get sick of seeing these guys perform, especially their acoustic set. It's just nothing like it. Beautiful vocals, awesome guitars, great conversation, great fun. It's just a happening time. And I'm telling you, I I never get tired of it. So I'm here to tell you to get online right now, emeryacoustic.com. They're playing in Atlanta tonight, Nashville tomorrow. Get your tickets. I'm telling you, it's worth the drive. If you got to drive 100 miles to be a part of this, do it. You'll love it, and you'll thank me later. Emeryacoustic.com. Go get your tickets right now. All right, let me jump in with, uh, gosh, a story from 15 years ago. Oh, my God. Probably even more than that. So Toby is uh, experimenting with this song, and... He had already worked on this breakdown that uh, that was very much so influenced by what Toby was listening to. And so Matt is there, too, and he's watching what Toby's doing. Toby's like, hey, man, as we're doing this buildup, um, like, let's do some distortion as we come in. And Matt smiled and said, oh, so you mean now exactly like that mineral song? Because <laughs> everything about the song was exactly uh, like that song. So No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, well, that's where I wanted to start here today, Chris. Thank you for for joining us for sure. But I, I will say this about mineral. Well, we have a lot of questions, honestly, because I, I mean, for me, mineral is the band that I would go to in my brain of the strangest, most bizarre thing I'd ever heard, and I could not have ever thought like. I grew up in Greer, South Carolina with country music and some rap, and it was all radio. I did not know music existed not on the radio. And you guys were one of the first bands, like like you guys and, and, and Dave is on Pedro the Line at the time. And I remember thinking, this, how does this exist? Like, what what exist? in the world? Like, I, I mean, not, not and, and I hope you take this the right way. Like, some of the vocals weren't tuned. There was, like, weird guitar sounds and distortion things. I was like, that. That almost sounds like it might be a mistake. Did they know this? Like, what is going on? 
And then as I listened, I was like, wait a minute, this is their intent. This is what they're going for. So for me, who was, I had, you know, boys teachers in college, I always sing in choir. Everybody said, sing this way, do everything musically this way. This is music theory, and this is what sounds good. And when you record music, it needs to be like this. And it felt like you guys broke all the rules. And so my first question is, what in the hell were y'all thinking? Where'd you get balls big enough to, like, do something like that? Well, and were you guys being influenced by somebody else? What's that last bit? I missed yours. And were you guys being influenced by somebody else? Well, I think we certainly were. Um, we were listening to a lot of stuff. When Scott and I first came together, uh, we were really into the Smashing Pumpkins and uh, Catherine Wheel and um, Swerve Driver, like these kind of uh, British kind of shoegazy bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously not Smashing Pumpkins, but uh, <clears throat> we were really into that just kind of big guitar thing and like the dynamics were really important um yeah i think what's funny i love to hear that it just seemed out there to you you know like uh to me it's like uh i know when you're young and and even when music is going well now it just feels like it should feel like complete freedom you know like you shouldn't Mm -hmm. shouldn't be following any rules you should just be like kind of feeling and expressing Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I like, I like to hear that. But was that music happening around you though? Like, I mean, you guys had to be, to me, you guys were like on the cutting edge of like, it's just out there, man. Like this thing at well, the you time, you know, called, called emo. And, no, but I'm just saying yeah. nobody was nobody. I mean, everybody around me in South Carolina would not have like it. You had to get sit with it for a little bit. That's what I thought was the coolest thing about mineral is. I kind of had to wrestle with it, which taught me, oh, wait a minute. That's when I really like music. Yep. You know what I mean? Like when it just comes on the radio and it's just fed to me and whatever. The same way, like I, the first experience I had with rock music and stuff like that was like Nirvana or Stone Temple Pilots or Smashing Pumpkins. And I was like, there's something really neat here. And this sounds like they're, they're doing something. And then, you know, moving to the next stage where you guys were like, took, took it to a whole nother level. It just it surprises me like when you would listen to Smashing Pumpkins and then you guys created what you created, like going through yeah. what, what was going through your mind though? I mean, we started to like around the time that Mineral was actually forming. Um, we started listening to a lot of like Super Chunk and Rocket from the Crypt and yeah, um, just kind of indie stuff that was coming out on Matador. Like we really liked all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, shortly after that, uh, Sunny Day Real Estate Diary, which really hit us as like, I think it just felt very similar to what, we were wanting to do, you know, um, or what we kind of felt like we were already doing, um, in a way. So it was, it was definitely a big influence for sure. Uh, but it was more just like this golden record that's like, oh yes, you know, like that's the sort of stuff we're doing and want to be doing, you know? At the time, did you guys have a, uh, an awareness of how significant what you were doing was? Uh, I think definitely. Because I remember as, I mean, I remember between the two Mineral releases, Mineral was, had already formed some sort of an epic feel to it. Like people would refer to Mineral when they wanted to describe to somebody else what Emo was about. Oh, well, you know, Mineral, Sunday Real Estate. Oh, you got to listen to Mineral. I mean, there's just nothing like it. So while you guys were a band, that had already been firmed up. Like you guys were already a thing. Did you guys recognize that or realize that? Yeah, you guys actually made me look cool when I knew about your band. <laughs> like, I would say, hey, you ever heard of Mineral? Mineral. And then I'd make friends by just having heard of you. Always happy to help, you know, people socially. <laughs> Man, it definitely felt like, we definitely felt that there was, like, an energy to it, and people were accepting it and excited about it. And, uh, like, the response to the power failing, like, it definitely felt special. But that said, we weren't really 
selling a, a ton of records or like uh we were getting some good college radio airplay for sure and uh we were just having so much fun playing and a lot of the shows uh were kind of more like house shows almost uh um we kind of you know like quickly fell into uh the sort of world of other bands that was happening at the time that were uh maybe similar like uh we didn't come from like a post-hardcore background um so we were felt a little different than that but we were definitely like immediately sort of accepted into that scene which was already kind of happening i think like bands like christy front drive and uh boy's life and uh yeah vitreous humor like the the way yeah, the label we hooked up with crank you know like we really liked the stuff they were putting out and we started playing shows with these bands and it felt like a good fit you know like i don't think we felt exactly in place you know but uh the response was awesome so chris you guys moved on to uh, a lot of different projects with pop unknown and Ambroco, kissing chaos and all that why not just continue mineral let me go back a second I, I wanted to ask like you know we've established mineral being a you know a credible band a real force out there doing something and at the time even in the late 90s and early 2000s people knowing it when did y'all break up Real quick. 98. 98? Yeah. So even in that time when you were known about and people knew about you outside and respected you, and you said it was cool and you were hooking up with these bands and being uh, successful to some degree, that wasn't commercially successful. Like even at the time when you were a, a, an influential band that mattered that people nationally knew about, I'm guessing you really weren't even making any money or having large, no, really big shows. Definitely not. Yeah, we were just kind of scraping by and always having to call poor Jeff from Crank Records and asked for a credit card number for a flat tire or something, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I think by the, maybe the last tours we did, we did that tour with Sensefield and Jimmy Eat World. Um, we all started being booked by this new guy who was like a low man on the totem pole at a bigger agency, the agency group. Um, and he really liked, he started booking a bunch of these bands uh, like us and couldn't really figure out what to do with us except uh, put us on tour together, you know? Um, there were no like opening slots for bigger bands coming forward. So we, yeah, we just toured together and, uh, we got to where we were like on the East coast, we were selling out like 500 cap rooms or 300 or whatever. Uh, that was the first experience we had with like, it felt like that tour was, we're really playing like actual clubs. Do you think you could have stayed together in that form longer? Had you, uh, had there been more money or more success there? Well, no, because, uh, we signed, you know, eventually Interscope and some other major labels, uh, became interested after the, at some point while we were touring for the power of failing. And, uh, we, we kind of had like a lot of internal conflict about what we should do in that regard. Like, should we trust like a big major label to like know what to do with us? Or should we just keep doing our own thing where we are? But we ended up uh, signing with Interscope. So uh, we knew if we kept going, the money would potentially be getting better, you know, uh, and we'd have more money behind us and more, uh, you know, more sort of commercial clout. Was it weird seeing uh, like a band or or was it influential at all seeing what happened to Jimmy Eat World when they went on Capitol and just kind of, I mean, that was not good for them. It ended up being right. good for them once because I think what happened is after Clarity they went back to an indie label, wrote Bleed American, a major label heard it, and then wanted to sign them. But bottom line is Static Prevails and 
clarity was not a, a good thing. Were you guys kind of watching them and seeing what happened? Did that influence your decisions? Yeah, for sure. And in a way, you know, they, we were, all the other bands were kind of jealous of them because they did have like a small amount of tour support and they just kind of really had their shit together, you know, like they had a really nice van and uh, they had kind of the same things the rest of us had, but just slightly nicer versions of them <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Uh, so we were, I think, a little bit jealous of that, but we were also just like aware because we were friends with them and touring with them that they weren't, they didn't feel supported or like they didn't feel like they were in the right place necessarily, you know? Do you feel like you could have made a, dis- like, could Chris Simpson make a decision? You know what? I'm going to tweak Mineral a little bit and come up with a product that's more like Clarity uh, to to just get more listeners. Did you have that capacity? And is that something that you tried to resist? That's something I would always try to resist. Um, I was mostly interested. By then, I was. I feel like uh, what was influencing me in between the records and moving into and serenading yeah. writing was was more stuff like uh, Red House Painters and Low and like a lot of like almost I think uh, slower, mellower stuff. Um, yeah. So I think that's the direction I was feeling like things were going. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It didn't. I, I could definitely not. I definitely had no interest in uh, sort of matching someone. You guys started finding some success, and then was the, was the band getting along? Like, what what ultimately led to you guys saying, "Hi, let's let's don't do mineral." I mean, because it seems like you were on the cusp of maybe at least something. The at least the potential was there. Were, were you guys getting along? Was it just like what? Why stop? We got along really well. I think for the most part. Um, I think it was more like uh, myself, especially, and Jeremy feeling. Uh, feeling sort of constrained in mineral uh like i i had ideas that i didn't think uh song ideas that i didn't think felt like mineral you know um and i even remember like bringing some ideas in and getting that response from other people in the band and i didn't really want to be in a band that was uh limiting in that way um but uh also you know i've admitted this a lot in interviews especially the last couple years as we've reunited like uh I think I just thought it would be really easy to have the same amount of success with whatever I did next, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of my first, first big band out of the gates, and it just, it, things went really well, you know? Um, there's a part of you when you're young that and inexperienced that just thinks, well, of course, you know? Like, right. Everything's going everything's to go awesome, you know? Yeah, we had the same thing in our band. We Our first two records came out and did really well, and, and it, it, it didn't occur to us going into as we were changing or having different influences or, or wanted to do different things that, that wasn't automatic that what we do will be gold. We just didn't, we didn't have the experience with that not happening. So I, maybe it was, it was similar in that regard, but totally that, that and that's a cool thing um, to admit to. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, and it took me a long time. I was really angry about it for a long time. Like mm-hmm. just the lack of uh, traction there seemed to be after that. Um, well, dude, we were all listening to Gloria record. All right. We were. That's okay. Good. Good. Fly record did pretty well. You know, I feel like it, uh, it took a while to sort of gather steam, but I feel like by the time we were doing all that touring to start here, things felt like, felt like we kind of had a a good thing going again. You know, would I be right in guessing that y'all probably made more money off your reunion tour of any tours prior? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what, that's what I want to know. There's some more stuff in there, but I I was going to ask that at what point when you started seeing bands get back together and it's been five or six years of this phenomenon of reunions of indie bands, um, has been going on from refuse to get up kids to just everybody in the world, you know? And I want to know at what point did you see these other bands doing that? 
And did you have a distaste for it? Like, well, we won't do that. Or as, as you started to see it get rolling, you're like, ooh, ours is going to be good. I wonder <laughs> if we could get in on that action. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I was definitely the former, like, mindset. I, I just could not imagine us doing it, you know? Like, I hadn't even seen Gabe and Scott in probably, like, 10 years. Even though we all live in the same, even though we all live in the same, at, at least metropolitan area, you know, you uh, we kind of have different lives, you wow. know. Uh, so I just really didn't see it happening, and I didn't feel a personal interest in doing it. Um, but a good friend of ours, who ended up sort of managing the whole reunion, um, was just kind of like bugging me and Jeremy for a long time. Like, you guys, you guys could uh, do something cool, you know, like you should, you should do something with it. Um, and we knew that we definitely wanted to try and get the rights back to the records and like be able yeah. to reissue them in some way, uh, like remaster them, whatever. I think that's the, was the first step for us. And uh, really it came down to uh, Jim Adkins. I had hung out with him when they were in Austin, like the fall before. And uh, he wrote me a few months later and asked if, Mineral would potentially be interested in doing like a one-off reunion show in LA with them. It was going to be like their 20th anniversary show with a bunch of other bands from the era. Um, and it just sounded like, yeah, that'd be really a fun way to like try this thing, you know, yeah. just like one, yeah. sh one show, a low commitment. Uh, so we at least agreed, we got together and talked about it and we at least agreed, like, let's get in the room and just see if we can even like get the material back under our belts and, see how it feels and take it from there. And, uh, it just, it wasn't easy at all. It, it wasn't like riding a bike, yeah. but it means it was, uh, it was a real struggle for a while. And I think we didn't necessarily know for a few rehearsals if it was going to happen or feel right, you know, but, uh, it just, uh, kind of like started coming back and actually felt really well, the, great. Everyone felt this I'm, energy and just, uh, it just felt like the right time, you know, to do it. Man, I was in out of town when you came to Seattle. It was uh, I really regret missing it. But I'm looking at, at your website and just all the dates you got to do. It's like a dream come true. Like yeah. as far as the the world dates you did in small places, like two shows in one day at the Grog Shop, which is small. But then yeah. you're playing the you know the Bowery Ballroom in New York and and all that stuff. And it's just some of the best clubs you know in in the world that I've ever seen. And a lot of these looked like they were sold out. And that just must have been like. Uh, I don't know what validation was validation the way it felt like finally big yeah. crowds, people know me, good sound systems, good lighting, you know, yeah. all that stuff, money, you know? Yeah, it was, it definitely felt like that. Uh, you know, it was wonderful. Like, uh, shortly before we left for the tours, uh, Jimmy Roll was actually in Austin and we, me and Jeremy went down and we're hanging out with those guys after the show and they're like, Oh, it's going to be so cool, man. Cause you guys broke up before you got to play any of these rooms that are like, that you're going right. to play. These are like the best rooms in the country, you know? And like, and we're uh, all over the world and gross rock, you know, and everything like in, in yeah. Europe, festivals in Europe and, and, yeah, Nottingham and everything, just all over the place. And that, and that's, this is a probably a dumb question, but that, that's due to you guys acquiring a bigger fan base while y'all were broken up, right? I mean, is that is that yeah. why why y'all were packing? Yeah, while y'all were playing these shows, were you thinking, where the hell were y'all in '97, you assholes? <laughs> Some of them weren't born, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. That's what's funny is I, I I didn't listen to you guys until what 2000. Uh, I mean, I, I pushed. No, it was probably yeah. it was probably '98, '99. It, it was right after. I remember the funniest thing happened. I remember right after getting it into you guys, I was like, oh man, I'd love to see this band. And then I heard y'all had broken up and that y'all had been, I think it was Charleston, South Carolina with Jejune. Oh, yeah. Remember, uh, yeah. like a month before. And I was like, shit. A month before? Or it was oh, a month before. But, I mean, it yeah. had been recent. And I was like, <laughs> damn it. I missed the show, two bands that I would love to see and never will. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think yeah, that was the last. That was the last mineral tour, actually. Uh, Jay June and the Get Up Kids. Oh wow! Dang, that is. That, I think that's right when we started. You know, in a, yeah. in a way, right around that time when we were just got into that music was right at that time when that yeah. was closing up. So. I don't know if Matt, Matt and Toby were probably not this naive, but I know for me at that time, you know that the the late '90s emo scene. If you're holding a CD in your hand, that band is big time. So it, it never occurred to me that people in mineral jejune sunny day real estate like weren't making a living off their music you know what i'm saying until i don't know five or six years later when these guys started emory and they put out an album on tooth and nail and i'm like what y'all are still working jobs like you know i mean it's just it's and i i bet you to this day there's still people that just assume hey if you're putting cds out i mean well i think it's the same way as underground music is what i would call it i guess or non-major label music and even if it was on a major label still the same thing uh, yeah. same way with shows. Like I didn't know, like, I, I know it sounds, it sounds, it feels so ignorant now to think back to, to like, when I thought about music, I thought, oh, arenas and radio. I didn't think a bar and awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, like a, a $12 show. I would have never even have thought that and might, might not have could have even gotten in. Wasn't old enough or something like that. Like it's so bizarre that now that that, like you, you were even saying you guys were doing house shows and stuff like that. Probably a lot of times too. Cause it was that's maybe only where you could get in or something. You know, it's, yeah. it, was, it was a bizarre place. Yeah. A bizarre time yeah. maybe for that. Yeah. It's like the weirdest places, you know, like for that big and loud of a rock band. But you probably get this question a lot, but I'm curious. You and I were emailing back and forth and you mentioned a guy that you played in a hardcore band with. And you said he used to be in your youth group. And a lot of your lyrics seem to have almost like a, a spirituality from a Christian slant. Um is is that from your upbringing? Is that from a faith that you currently have, or what's that all about? Uh, it's definitely from my upbringing, and yeah. uh, I think around the time Mineral was happening, I was kind of getting out into the world for the first time, and and really, I feel like there was just so much to me. What it feels like it's mostly about lyrically is kind of this spiritual anxiety, you know, yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. like not kind of like that that process of figuring out what uh, what I believe, based, you know, like. Uh, as opposed to what I was given to believe or raised with, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my parents weren't like super evangelic or anything. They were, uh, Lutherans. So I grew up mostly going to a pretty, pretty laid back church. Um, but I got really into it in, uh, high school, I guess I got into a lot of Christian music and, uh, started playing in bands with people that I knew from churches. And, uh, so I was definitely, I was going to like churches that my parents were kind of freaked out by, you know, like all of a sudden, um, so that's kind of the world I was coming out of uh, when Mineral was happening, you know. Well, I just wanted to add something to that. It's so funny when I hear stuff like, or maybe it's not funny or interesting, maybe is the better word. So many people got their start getting to play in a band at church or something like that. And it's interesting to me because it sounds like now you've kind of moved away from that. Maybe, you, you know, I don't know where you're at now with spirituality and stuff, but it's interesting that the church would be a grounds for art. And then as it gets very artful or pushes boundaries, I think the church gets scared then. Like, it's so weird. Like, if if it welcomed more, like, the church used to be known for art and stuff like that, and so they still do it, but, like, it, they would have totally embraced you if everything was, like, you know, no matter what you said, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus loves you from, you from the stage or, you know, kind of preach in the pulpit a little bit or something like that. But, like, if you create art and then start pushing some boundaries, it's like the church turns and gets really scared. And, and the reason I say this is kind of interesting, like, 
think about how many people might would be even Christian or attend church today if the church didn't push them out for being like right creative. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. That's so bizarre. Let me have a shot at that, Toby. I think about this, and maybe here's what I'm going to say. So, so the church music system, because really, there's being a professional musician, and then the only other thing really, maybe that in the street performers church. That's right. where you can go work on your skills. So church is like minor league, triple A, kind of like a farm right. system, except for it, re- it It doesn't reward you if it, it doesn't bring you up. It pushes you. The only way right. in is to quit. It, feed into it pushes main. you down and makes you quit too, if you want to go into the major leagues. Right. It doesn't yeah. farm you. It's a, it's a reverse farm team is what church music <laughs> yes. is. It's, it's, it's bizarre <laughs> because like the the better you get at your craft, the more scared it gets of you. Yeah, you're and, worse. Like, if yeah, you it's would, worse like, at Like church, if y'all would have started in church, and then became like a more like a Christian Nickelback. They would have loved you. You would have and out like because you were like, hey, we're gonna try some stuff. We're gonna you know add some distortion and and question stuff or whatever. Write some lyrics that you know might you might have to think about a little bit. Like it gets scared. It's just bizarre to me that you said that because so many musicians I know got their start in church and then they go, yeah, I'm, I was done with that later. And the reason why is because I feel like the church kind of pushes you out if if it's not cut and dry and plain yeah. and simple which is so bizarre. Like if you think about God being the creator of all things, why would you be scared of creativity? That, that makes no sense to me. Anyway, I know that's off on a tangent, but it's just interesting that you say that. Cause I hear, well, it's it. a common theme. So it's relevant. I mean, Jimmy world has Christian members and ties right. and stuff like that. And Dave Bazan started very much in the same way. And all, all this music yeah. that influenced us early is really very similar mineral in the same thing. Like, is it Christian? I mean, it was the very beginning of that time when something could have Christian affiliation and be credible or cool or, or whatever it is. And then it only added to the lyrics of to hear people that have a similar background as you wrestling through stuff for real. And that's what all that was. And, they, and they, they end, people end up different places. Like Jimmy World's drummer is a, a, a real Christian guy now, and Dave Bazan is not. And I don't know where, you know what I mean? Like seeing people struggle and where they wind up is like the suspense and the drama that, that was is always been fun to, to unfold when people are, are honest in their lyrics and what they're going through. Yeah, sure. It's, yeah, it's I feel like I've always felt like I I write songs for the same reason anyone else does, you know, like regardless of their religious affiliations. Like, I, I it, to me, it never felt like it should be like marketed or labeled as Christian music. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I guess I was kind of I had kind of grown away from that and was was already sort of unhappy with labels, you know. Um, plus, you know, not everyone in Mineral was uh, necessarily like full blooded on that path themselves so Mm -hmm. it was like for me it was a very personal thing and it came out in the lyrics and i almost felt bad about it a lot of times to the other guys it's like sorry guys you know like (laughs) it's like god thing again sorry dudes (laughs) Uh, sorry guys uh but no it was you just have to like write where you're at and like what's your well uh, well, think about minerals music if it had like the lyrics like those those hardcore bands that, that do the dance and the choreograph and they write songs about songs about money and strippers and stuff Imagine if that's just where Chris's head was, but that was his music. Yeah, yeah. If his music was still the sound of mineral, but it was just about strip clubs right. and Benjamins well, and stuff, like that would, and drugs. Like, it just it wouldn't have worked. It, you know. Yeah, that would feel definitely like incongruent. Yeah. I was gonna say, speaking of labels and stuff, how does the emo, the word or the term or the genre emo, uh, affect you? How do you how do you feel about that term? Yeah, you know, I don't think it bothered us at first. We were confused by it, uh, definitely, because we have this big. <laughs> this big club in Austin called Emos that we played yeah. at a lot, kind of got our start there in a lot of ways. And so did a lot of bands um, from Austin. But uh, so when I first started hearing the phrase, I really thought it was like a reference to the club because I was hearing it in Austin, like locally. Yeah. And I was like, I just don't understand why we would be called like an Emos 
emo bands because the majority of bands who played wow. emo is much more kind of like uh, just more punk, you know, like weirder. Uh-huh. I feel like we were like the people who were trying to make like pretty sad music. And uh, yeah, so it felt weird. It felt like I don't know if we'd necessarily be like categorized as like an emo band, you know, but then I, I, it took me a while, but I realized that people were. Referencing something else, like a new a new label. Did it start to bother you? Did you find it a pejorative term though? Over time, you became to resent it. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely in the Glory Record days, I think I was like wanted to distance myself from it and like really kind of resented it. You know, Uh, I think I resented a lot of things (laughs) in those days, but uh, yeah, I was uh, like kind of disillusioned and angry in a lot of ways that that. I don't think you feel any of that in mineral, you know, mineral seemed like a much more, uh, you know, just different, like but uh, more, there didn't seem like that, uh, darkness. I wasn't aware of that yet. Uh, I mean, I was definitely aware of doubt and, uh, I think that's what a lot of people respond to with mineral. Like the, yeah, uh, it's interesting. That's interesting, especially to hear you, uh, unpack that and talk and talk about that term. Because to me, emo is when I was exposed to it, it was attached to you guys specifically. So to me, that's what it is. And it was really validating a second ago when you said, we just thought we were pretty sad music. And to me, that's synonymous with emo. That's how I encountered it was listening to your pretty sad music and somebody telling me this is emo. And so that is my frame, although the word has changed and changed again until it became poppy and then pop punky. And then now, you know, now I don't, some of the stuff they call emo sounds like children making country music. I mean, it's crazy. It's the same word, but I was was just curious how it struck you. Yeah, I've been confused by that too. Just like, but I think that happens with labels all the time. Like they eventually just get subsumed into the mainstream, you know, and and like, yep, they change mean anything anymore. You know, what were some of the other things that were bothering you during the glory record days? It seems to be kind of a, a jaded pissed off season for you. Yeah. I think I was just, uh, in retrospect, I think I can see it more clearly at the time. I was just really depressed and, uh, kind of angry about how things just didn't seem to be happening in the way I pictured them happening, you know? Uh, yeah. so I don't know. And I think there a lot more, uh, a lot more of my, uh, sort of realizing I didn't have this faith that I sort of, uh, claimed, uh, in my younger days, like just the, the sort of process of, uh, uh, figuring out what I did have, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely depressed. Um, have you moved out of that? And like now, I mean, do you have a faith now in something or do, like was that causing your depression trying to figure that out? Or is it just the band's not working out as the way you had envisioned? Yeah, it was more the band. I mean, I think there was a lot of uh, sort of spiritual <laughs> anxiety still, you know, like, yeah. uh, but it was just really like figuring out who I was, you know, like and allowing, uh, allowing myself to, to see that and uh, not have expectations of myself that were unrealistic. Um, and just learning that, trying to learn that the process with music has to be its own reward, you know, because um, you can't, you can't count on anything happening with it, you know, um, can't bank on it. So tell us about, uh, I mean, Zookeeper is your longest running band, right? Isn't that accurate? Yeah. To say? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how much time are you able to invest in it? A lot lately. Um, you know, it's funny before the mineral reunion stuff came up, I had spent probably two or three years working on that, uh, pink chalk. Um, and I'd finally kind of gotten to the point where I was like, all right, I got to just finish it and put it out there. Like get, get it out of my hands. Um, Mm -hmm. and when that happened, that's always kind of my least favorite part of the process because 
partially I'm excited about what's next and getting being free to get into whatever's next, uh, right? Something new or different. But uh, yeah, partially I'm just depressed because I'm like, great, now what do I do with it? You know, it's just like I feel like powerless to make it something magical happen. You know, it's just like, but I, I want to share it with people, and I know there are some people who would like to hear it. Um, so then the mineral thing came up, which was a really nice distraction for me. Cause like, it was just like, Oh, I'll just focus on that. And like, kind of let this thing slip out there. Like while that's happening. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of weird. I mean, there's just so little crossover, it seems like between mineral and zookeeper. Um, and I think that's just kind of how, how it is, you know, um, kind of feels like starting over, like getting people to pay attention to it, you know? Yeah. Chris, do you do anything else for a living or for a career other than music and creative stuff? No, I worked for years, just odd jobs that I could like come and go from waiting tables. Uh, I worked for as a courier for about eight years, uh, a lot of driving jobs. Um, but then five years ago, uh, my lady and I had uh, twins. Nice. And uh, nice. Wow. I, I got the, uh, since I don't have an awesome job with benefits, I got the uh, stay-at-home dad gig. Yeah. So uh, I was doing that kind of mostly for the last five years. Um, outside of like the mineral stuff, um, it's more recent. But uh, I've also been going back to school and uh, kind of going to get more into that, I think, in the fall, like start going more full time. So and to study what? Uh, I've been studying social work. Nice. Excellent. Uh, I've been kind of uh, in the psychology like area, like studying. I was almost going to say you were kind of asking like about if I had a current spirituality. And uh, I think it's just... Uh, it's evolved, but uh, I, I was saying for a long time that I feel like psychology is my new spirituality. You know, it's like uh, mm-hmm. just so interested in uh, reading in that area and uh, trying to kind of understand myself better. Yeah. Well, I, I want to go on the record to tell people you got to check out Zookeeper. I mean, Pink Chalk, my gosh. It's, are, do you have another album coming up or are you working on new stuff? Yeah, I was going to say I've been able to work a lot uh, this last year, um, starting in the spring last year when Mineral. Uh, started kind of winding up um i've been working a ton on this record that is all like 10 year old songs that were yeah. from the early zookeeper days that have never been like finished or released yeah several of them have been recorded in several different ways that i've just never felt happy with the end result uh so there had been a big long break you know so i kind of i didn't have a lot of new material for zookeeper uh at the time so i just decided to start over on a lot of these songs that were some of my favorites from the from over the years of zookeeper writing i had a real flourishing period when i started writing for zookeeper and wrote probably like 50 or 60 tunes in the first couple of years and yeah and most of them i really like some of them i'm sure we'll never see the light of day but there's a lot of them i really like that i'm still kind of going back through uh so this new record that I'm almost done with now is uh, is all like ten, eight to ten year old tunes, probably uh, sort of. But they feel fresh because of like taking a break and sort of re reconstructed them. And and uh, the different aspect of it, I guess, is we've uh, I've had this thought that I wanted to the palette to be like strings and horns and like female background singers and like all these elements first, you know, around yeah. the song before adding like electric guitars and things that I'm, it's easy to add, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to sound kind of different. I mean, I think it's going to sound like Zookeeper, you know, but uh, I'm excited about the, that sort of different palette that it has instrumentally. Now did the mineral reunion, did that, 
spark any interest in writing a new mineral record or more touring anything there? Cha-ching, man, cha-ching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it definitely did. Um, at the time, I, I remember I just didn't want it to end, which I was so surprised by. Like going in, I would never have thought that. But uh, I was really a period where I thought, like, God, we should just keep this thing going, like make another record, like just make it happen. Um, and we definitely talked about it. And we were all like curious about the idea, but it takes really like a vision for it and like really writing. And I just, you know, I tried writing some ideas and we tried like messing around with some ideas and kind of even just jamming together a bit, which is how I wrote a lot of the older stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's hard when you're not 19 and you can't just sit in some room with no AC for 10 hours a day and like play with your friends, you know, because that's that's how things like that happen, you know, like how you find like a new sort of chemistry or sound. Um, it's been difficult to uh, imagine that happening. Seems more like if something was going to happen now, it would have to be material that was sort of prearranged that we could all sort of like share over the computer and kind of right. get ideas for. And like when we did come together, it would it'd be much more focused, like work and it's not nobody's closed the door on it you know i think mineral is just kind of an open door at this point uh but I, I have realized like as the as the touring went on like i did start to feel definitely like it just doesn't feel like me now you know right. uh that band and and while i i loved reconnecting with it and i think there's something really powerful about kind of reintegrating this younger version of yourself and uh kind of getting to revisit like these songs and these people in my life uh the mineral was really short-lived, but it was a really, really huge four years uh, in our lives, I think. It, it felt like a really major event. Um, so it was nice to reconnect with that. And, and sure, we might tour, you know, again in the future. I don't think, I, I don't think we're just going to, like, stay out there, you know. Because the numbers start to, like, really dwindle, you know, the more you do. Um, there's definitely interest, you know, initially. But uh, you can't just keep doing it without putting out something new or, like, something new to it, you know. It's funny, too. Like, I guess a band is the only job you could really do that with. Like, think about if all of us, like, if I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and work at Little Caesars for four, you know, for four days and just the memories. Like, you know, no, yeah. the band's yeah. the only job you actually go back to and you're, from your youth. You're like, man, this is, like you were just saying, like, it's true. Like, And it's really, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome. And you're like, man, this is a problem. Like, if I went back to Little Caesars and, ma you know, made some pizzas in the back. <laughs> It wouldn't be that awesome. Guys. Yeah. I don't want to go back to any of my other jobs. For right. that, that is funny. The nostalgia is just too much. I know. <laughs> is Bandcamp the best place for them to grab these Zookeeper albums? Yeah, you know, I've really kind of gotten lazy uh, as far as the, the interwebs with Zookeeper. Um, yeah. So I think Bandcamp is the most reliable place. You can get the albums, you can buy them download them you can just listen to them um yeah and there's like there's a zookeeper facebook page and occasionally something gets put on there so i don't know how this feels for a musician but i'll say this that i love all three of the releases but the ep is seriously the best collection of whatever five or six songs ever like it's unbelievable i i you know like i said i like all three of them but that ep it's one of those CDs where I never, ever, ever get tired of and just always pop it in there. So thanks for the music, man. Thank you. Oh, man. No worries. Thank you for saying <laughs> I yeah, love thank you for the interview and the music. It's great. We we really appreciate it. It's been it's been really an honor to get to talk to you face to face like this for three of us. So awesome. Well, it's no it's no problem for me. I I like talking. Sweet. Well, thanks, Chris. We sure do appreciate, it, man. Oh well, yeah. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Sweet. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. Take care. <laughs> I was going to go into a story on Facebook. Moving I, on. For Father's Day. I Chris Simpson, thank you. For Father's Day, I posted a picture of my dad and me. 
And someone oh, from boy. Bad Christian said, oh, what were you going in for your annual penis annual checkup? Penis I'm checkup. like, that's my personal <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> but I mean, is, did Virgil it. knows at this point that we've done yes. that episode and it's in the yes. book coming out and everything. Like he's aware. Have you talked to him about story? it? Yes. What did he say about it? He that? just couldn't believe that I came out with that. Well, that's like not you crazy of Virgil that? to not be able to believe that. that yeah, that's no. I mean, that's actually very normal. Of Virgil. <laughs> that's a very normal reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, he would think it's bizarre that the worst day of his life you would talk so freely about. <laughs> you write chapters in your book about it and do a whole episode of the podcast. He was in the military. He was in Vietnam, but the worst day of his life, <laughs> his son came to him. <laughs> it's an off-reference thing on this podcast, and I hope everybody knows what we're talking about. And if I had to sum it up in one sentence, it was uh, Pastor Joey went to his father to ask him if his penis was adult-sized as a function of his obsessive compulsive of disorder about 10 years ago. It's just too much. Right before he got married. No, no, no. It's 16 years ago. That story makes me realize, like, parenting never ends. Like, I have a son (laughs) who's four years old. What do I have to look forward to 21 years from now? This morning, I almost thought it was in our genes because my son gets in bed with me, and he's like, Dad, you want to see my penis? And he pulls (laughs) his underwear down. He's got a huge <laughs> I was like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Chris Simpson was great too, though, right? He's calm, man, but I like him. Uh, it is funny. Like, there, there's been several times where we've had people on that are serious influences in my life. Right. And maybe influencing me now. And then we're joking and talking with them in a, like a peer level. Right. And it really is shocking. Like, I don't think he realizes it. I mean, Mark Solomon, Dave Bazan. Well, yeah. well, think about it this way: it's not even it, like a thing. Everybody goes, "Oh man, I wish I could like talk to all the people that I look right. up to." It's not that great. You just feel stupid, right? right. You, know, well, you don't really want to talk to all the people that you look up to. I get to. T- I've talked to almost everybody that I look up to. I, I feel stupid every time. It's not even enjoyable. Yeah, it's not fun because <laughs> I'm only going to be. Most, say anything there's profound. a huge percent chance I'm going to be dumber That's right. than they can appreciate. It doesn't really so, work out. We couldn't have said it enough. Like, man, this is amazing. Like, you influenced. Like, I didn't know music existed, and he created music that I didn't know could exist. That you would really and love. It, and right. And it, and it influenced me and changed me. I listened to his album over and over and over right. and over. And, and now I'm just talking about, like, what he's doing. Yeah, you just feel stupid <laughs> now. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I feel like. Yeah, you know, Chris Farley going, hey, man, remember when you made that album? It's pretty that cool. cool. Right? <laughs> it was really cool, man. I mean, it just, there's no winning with that. And so that does help me a little bit, which is bizarre. There are people that my band influenced, and they think it's neat to talk to me, but I just feel so – it sucks for me again because I feel <laughs> totally inadequate and stupid. Like you, somebody would think that I influenced them, then I feel just like the biggest idiot dickhead in right. the whole world. Some, it's, it's I can't live up to that. Yeah, it doesn't like work out either way. I mean, you know how many times we've been on tour with bands and they said, hey, man, your your album, like, the question, I listened to it nonstop. It was, like, everything to me when I was this a certain age or whatever. And I'm like, thank you. And, and then I just act like an idiot. You what do you do with that? What can you like, say? It, it's, well, is there a part of you that's like, man, that's that's great to hear. I appreciate or you don't it, care. but I feel it makes me feel ultimately stupid. 
And yeah. it's why? that we call stupidity feeling. Because Frank. I know how stupid I am. So then, what is if this person thinks I'm good? <laughs> how crazy are they? <laughs> well, think about like, it this way: the thing that you do, you don't do stuff in life that you're walking around feeling profound about. Like, think right. about it that way. What if somebody came up to, let's say, your wife Priscilla, and was like, "Priscilla, I've been studying all the decisions you make. It's brilliant. Right? You're un- you're unbelievable. Like, you're who I want to be." And I, you know, when you did this, I thought that. And when you did this, I thought that. I've it been got studying me through a hard time, time in my life. You got me through a hard. You <laughs> actually saved my life, Priscilla. When you, the way right. that you decided to drive to work <laughs> on this day, and the way that you load your kids in the car, I and mean, it's just it saved my life. Yeah. I, what, I mean, and I and, like and, fart jokes. And, They're and telling so, me this, and I love fart. And jokes. so, Priscilla, like, what do you have to say to me now? I mean, it was my just, main she question. Would go, oh, this is ridiculous. You would think that person's a right. dummy and a yeah. loser, and because or I'm stupid weird. anyway, and this is all stupid. So it it almost feels like. I've tricked this person into thinking that I'm awesome when I know I'm stupid. So this is all this is all stupid anyway. That's what it feels like. Right. Our friend Nick Pilch, I'm leaving ch- our church, and I was walking out in the parking lot. He just went and said, hey, man, I just wanted to tell you, like, I've listened to your band forever, and the reason I came to this church initially was because of you. And I just want to tell you, it's amazing that, like, I got to know you, and you're not like an asshole, big <laughs> ego guy. That you, and I'm just sitting there going, Fuck. I am. I'm just so stupid. Don't think good of me, dude. Like, I like you as a friend. We're we're peers. You don't have to say any of this. And I can't even handle it. I can't take the compliment because I go, I know how terrible I am and how stupid I am and all the dumb. That's all what stuff. he's saying, but, though. But he's saying your genuineness. Even, I know, but, it, but it's still, like, really nice of what no, he's saying. And like, it's all really based on your genuinely. music. It's still based on your music. Right. And you know when you wrote your music, you weren't doing anything outside of your normal character. It wasn't a right. hero thing that you wrote this, the song. Exactly. You just, you just did what you were doing. And then somebody else is elevated to a place. And maybe you're complicit in the fact that you wanted people to see you as, right. you know, there's something to that. But I will say, there is a great number of people in entertainment, people that are front men for bands, people that are artists, more than one person I can think of off the top of my head that has been on this podcast that eat that shit up. There's a, it's not, every, it's not yeah. universal that people feel that way. There's many people who create art, make songs, do stuff, who genuinely buy into that for themselves. And they think, this is me. I did this. This person appreciates it. That's why I did it, because I am actually a genius. And I'd matter. That's there's yeah. a lot of people like that too. But you know, well, it's so enticing. That's what I'm saying. Like there, there is a thing of whoa. I created something. It meant something to somebody. I can well, when somebody tells that. you you saved their life, and I'm thinking because what I played a D minor with a, a seven on it. <laughs> like if I'd have done the chord different, it, you would you'd be dead right now. I, like, and they right. said to me, and they, they know who I am and what I do, and they say this saved my. You know, even if it's a lyric, I know that the the chord analogy is a little. Uh, more silly, but even if, even with the lyric, it's not like if you'd have done a different. I mean, how do you? How so are you you're saying to take that? I saved your life. If I would have written these ankles break before they right. bleed, yeah, dead. How many people yeah. would be dead right now? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't handle the weight of that. Right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Hey, that's one thing we sure as hell have not gotten about this podcast is, dude, I'd be dead if it wasn't for that podcast. Yeah, I know. No, nobody says that about the podcast. It's, it's really actually lyrics that people say that about. But in even with lyrics, you understand that it's the person reflecting on taking that, putting the meaning on it, attaching stuff to it. It can't be the lyricist, what he comes up with saves lives. Don't be that. I mean, it can't be that. It's not Well, that. He, here's the thing. What I've learned is you have to take it in the whole picture of this one moment in their life where they're at the lowest point of their life 
or just going through a rough time, whatever it might be. It might not be suicide or death or whatever. It might literally be just a bad time. It's the whole picture. So our band, in their brain, the nostalgia of it is we're a part of that, and they're getting to talk to that part at that moment. They're not getting to talk to the the counselor at school at that moment or whatever it might be. That That song that we wrote is in that moment, so I can understand that and get there. But it is like, man, I here's what I immediately think. When somebody tells me something about myself, I go, I can't live up to that. I know that I'm a dumbass, and I don't want anybody to think better than me, but better of me because of some song I wrote or some stage I played on. I really want them to go, man, this guy might be a dumbass. I really think he's cool, though, or something like that. And th- that's what Nick was saying, I, I actually believe. But I, it is hard to hear some of that stuff because what do you say to it? Oh, you know, like Matt said, I mean, if we had done it differently, would it have been bad? And you would have been upset about it? You know it? what like, freaks me out is think about all the songs you didn't write that you could have. Right. Like, think of the, like, it's so many times where I have an idea or a thought, and then I just finish watching TV or go somewhere else. But the, right. I, the songs that we do have that people tell me saved their life, I, I mean, I was just, it was somewhere. It was a Tuesday. I decided to sit down and work on the idea instead of not, and it existed. Uh, that doesn't even make sense if you try to like actually bel- right. it just, it, it's all nonsense so when when you're talking to Chris Simpson from Mineral you say oh this is that guy that I had all these thoughts about and now I hope I can get through these 20 minutes of interview and make it entertaining but it doesn't matter right. he probably thinks I'm stupid anyway it just it's weird it's it's the whole thing of uh it's about the celebrity and people wanting kings and celebrity and famous people it fills some function in you that i think probably is supposed to be aimed at god and we just keep aiming at people it just right. it's just not it doesn't i agree it doesn't if somebody rightly determines my intentions and the things that i've done in this world it does it just feels weird it doesn't work out anyway so and, now, and my intentions weren't good it wasn't me anyway so that's the whole thing about celebrity it all feels like it's falling short of attributing something it's you always know it's a sham when you're getting like glory it just feels like a sham no matter what yeah totally jo- joey i want to ask you you're a huge music fan i mean seriously like you've loved music and it's been one of the biggest influences in your life do you attribute any like tough times like getting through it to like somebody like chris Simpson from mineral or like is there any like if you met somebody you think you say hey man I was going through this really dark period. Like, do you think that way about musicians? Would you tell somebody that? No. If I really stretch myself, the closest thing would be hard to find a friend by Dave Bazan. But I would say, hey, your album reminds me of some really, really tough times. And I, I mean, I maybe I would say loosely, yeah, it helped me through that, but not in this epic save my life way. Like, there's been some really hard times in my life where certain albums remind me of that and I listened to it during that time. And so maybe it was therapeutic, but I don't think it like helped me get through it necessarily. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think like Pinkerton, you know, Weezer's Pinkerton helped me see something and change me and all that stuff. And I think I would love to tell him that, but I, at the same time now I would go, but what would be the point even? Right. And it wouldn't mean anything to them. No, it would mean nothing to them. The whole point is to me, Right. Like, it, it wouldn't matter to them, so it would just be me getting to talk about me. That's right. You know what I mean? Or That's something right. like that? Something like so. that. Anyway. All right, let's do the damn news. Let's move on here. We're kind of getting nostalgic here. I don't know. But Chris Simpson changed my life. <laughs> he, but he did, though. <laughs> Save my life. Yeah. No, he did. He did change Changed it. my life. Yeah. He did. Yes. So that's he something. changed my life. Now, don't you think when people tell you guys that, as Emory, they are definitely saying that 
because they think it'll mean something to you? Yeah, or do you that's think the, it's yeah, totally yeah, yeah. I don't want to get yes. back into it, but yes. that's part of it. Yeah, because it still winds up like, oh, this is just, it's just no good place to put that. But it, it's really still about, it's just for them. It's not for me. Right. But it's something weird about that. Anyway, music, news, rolling. In a world where the guy you do a podcast with is a pastor and the sermon he preached changed your life and saved your life, it was on overeating. <laughs> My name is Toby Morell. This is the damn news. And I brought it. Yeah. When you did when you preached, I brought it. When you preached about overeating and how it affected you, <laughs> the three points were amazing. What were your, you remember your three points of yep. overeating? Well, the first one was milkshake. Yep. Milkshakes. <laughs> the second one was pizza. Yep. What was the third point you where you brought it home? Uh, beer. Mm-mm. What? It Wings? Pie. Oh, pie. Yeah, it was pie. Okay. Pie has always gotten you. It changed my life. So this comes from the old Huffington Post. I, th- I just thought this was interesting. Maybe I won't, but uh, because I've used this stuff, Gorilla Glue, before. I love, I love Gorilla it. Glue. I, I actually think it's pretty amazing. Great company. <laughs> Giant gob. And I love that they use the word gob. I used to use that word all the time. I, I, that That's an underrated word, a gob of stuff. People mm-hmm. don't really say that. I used to always say that. There's this big gob of something. I don't yeah. say a gob. I say gobs of gobs. such yeah. and such. It's Same a great thing. word, though. I, yeah. I, I think it's an underrated word, and people should use it more. I think it's a southern word, for sure. I almost want to say it's there's a tinge of grossness with it. Like a gob of something sounds a little gross. Like a gob of goo. <laughs> <laughs> right? It sounds a little weird. What's the goo? Uh, I don't know. Giant gob of Gorilla Glue pulled from a dog's gut. And, Matt, I thought you'd be interested in this because your dog eats anything and has had stuff potentially should have maybe been pulled from his stomach. A a Weimaraner, which apparently also is Weimaraners are super smart dogs, which I don't know what that actually means either. Maybe we can talk about that too. Are dogs actually smart or some dogs smarter than others? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma City had had an experience that is hard to stomach. He swallowed a half bottle of Gorilla Glue. Crystal Wilson said the sticky situation began when Lake, her six-month-old pup, saw some glue that was being used for a home improvement project and mistook it for food. That night, Lake soon started showing signs of an advanced case of canine constipation. Wow. I didn't think anything of it until that night when she started vomiting. Wilson immediately stuck her glue-gobbling pooch in the car and took her to the vet. Just a small amount had had just swollen up to the size of a turkey leg. Good gosh. Because it, 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 when you... Gorilla glue expands. Gr- yeah, yeah, expands. That's part of the neat part of it. But uh, it was huge. Pretty much took the size of her stomach. There are specific signs when a dog ingests Gorilla Glue and other types of strong adhesives. Um, these include excessive drooling. Oh. Vomiting, oh. loss of appetite, retching, and distended stomach. Veterinarian oh. Leonard Bays used an x-ray machine to examine Lake. Once he saw the giant glue mass, the dog was immediately rushed into surgery. Two hours later, the vet uh, pulled out a big hunk of glue that looked like a perfect mold of her stomach. With bits of the glue bottled and grass inside, so she had eaten some grass too, Wilson admits, admits feeling unglued about what happened. It's hard not to feel guilty, she says, and they were very lucky that the she is here with us and back to her crazy self. Um, it's just so crazy. I know, like, like our dog has eaten a ton of stuff and then like was sitting in her crate vomiting. Like when a dog vomits, it's so funny because you hear it and it's like, and then you're then you immediately feel bad and you don't know what to do. And so Maybell, uh, 
and Matt, I don't know if, if uh, Reggie has done this or not, but Maybelle will eat grass, and sometimes that just yeah. messes with her stomach. No, no, totally no. Didn't. They eat grass when they feel bad. Maybe that's what it is. So she must have ate something, and then she eats grass. Right. Gra- the, the grass didn't make them sick. They're eating grass because they feel— Why did they eat the grass? Feel, uh, that, well, Does that I, make them throw up? Uh, well, think about—I'm I'm going to guess on this, but I imagine from the dog's point of view, they think, uh-oh, I've got stomach troubles. I need some fiber to pass it or something like that. So they'll go out and want to eat grass when they feel bad. So it's not that right. the grass makes them sick. It's they want to try to get something down to help them pass stuff when they already feel sick. So often well, when they throw up, they'll throw up grass because they've been eating Toby, grass. I want to ask you something unrelated to this. Well, I don't know if I'm going to accept. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously thought about this earlier today, and since you're talking about dogs, if Maybell died tonight. So yeah. what, you're just going off, just like he read the whole news story, and you're just going off dog yeah like you don't you're not thinking about eating something bad no, this is just done. This is he heard the podcast. word dog like four minutes ago and well, something jumped into his head and here we go about an hour ago i'm playing with maybell and i thought to myself uh a close friend of mine right maybe my best friend is moving to nashville there's a lot going through with this he's he's gonna have to transport a dog right take care of that dog yep it's a big deal to transport the dog the dog would there be a part of you that's just like, well, it couldn't have happened at a better time if you wake up tomorrow <laughs> and Maybell's dead? I don't know if there's a... I mean, <laughs> it's not that hard to let your dog ride in the seat beside you to Nashville. Yeah, but just that's think not, about it. You probably make a couple extra stops to let it pee. I mean, wouldn't you just rather it be dead? <laughs> Actually, you're right. Perfect timing. This sucks, but yeah. You know I'm serious. I mean? Like, well, let me just... Well, let me ask you a question. So, in general... Your if, grandma has Alzheimer's <laughs> and dementia. <laughs> She's cost you a lot. Is there more perfect time? (laughs) Actually, I would, for my family's sake, especially. Yeah, okay. Let's lose you. you, What is the perfect time? You don't don't have a dog. You don't have a dogger. But I mean, let's just take your grandma for example. Is there a perfect time for her to die? (laughs) Yes, before October. (laughs) Why? Because the Medicaid runs out. That's true. Yes. This actually got really sad. Like you took it to a real bad. So I'm like, just saying. It's like September twenty nine. I mean, you went like September we don't 30th. know. We're like, joking around about people dying, and we don't really want them to. You went like, yeah. Hope she. This dies. is Joey. This is the her this is money the runs thing out. About being a Christian with a wildly hyper eternal perspective, right? That's just how it I'm works. D- I'm just saying, my mama is not enjoying life. Her mind cannot help her enjoy life. You can say that There's without no a point. shadow of a doubt that she's not happy. Yes, because I just visited her Friday, and she begged me after she asked me, "Are you kin?" This is I. I she babysat me for my whole life. She says, "Are you kin?" Yes, I am Barbara's son. That's your oldest daughter. Immediately, the chair handle goes up. Her feet go down. She's like, get me out of here. Will you take me out of here? And I was like, I can't do that. Why not? Why can't you? That's miserable. She had to ask me if I was family. And when I said yes, her next question is, can you take me out of here? I mean, she is trusting a stranger who is basically telling her, hey, I'm family. And what does she ask? I want to leave here. That's depressing. Okay. Just, I just want to take a second. I I just want to take a second here. Does she eat Gorilla Glue? Yes. Lots. You have destroyed this podcast. I mean, you, How have I destroyed it? You've made everybody on earth feel terrible. You were talking terrible. about dogs. Talking about a dog eating Gorilla Glue. I asked about Maybell. You went to the grandma. No. 
You brought up Mama. I was making a joke. I, just I mean, feel... what, you know, t- Toby, now that you mentions it, what does it all mean? God in heaven. What is the point of all that? Now that I think about it, the futility what do you, of what life. Do you do, what do you do, Matt, when you're doing your job and you're working hard and you're trying to, like, make, create a great product? What happens after and th- and then your all friend, this is gone? And then your coworker tells you that hopefully his grandmother dies before you brought her just a pale blue dot and just a speck and what does all this even mean do you know what i'm saying there is a good like is there a point to die does it matter yeah there's a great time for my mama to die sooner the better (laughs) (laughs) god this is the worst damn news ever (laughs) I just want to talk about a dog eating something it shouldn't have. You brought my I'm mama devastated. Up. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to go just... enjoy the. <laughs> <laughs> God in heaven. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. JabberjawMedia.com. Shh.